Let's open God's Word to 1 John chapter 4 together as we just have a few moments to spend together in God's Word and think about the blessing of what we have experienced here today. 1 John 4, you find that on page 1401 in the Pew Bible in front of you. All the way at the back, almost to Revelation. Amen. Let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll dive into God's Word. Father, again, we just thank You for this morning. And Lord, we're humbled at the work that You do among us. And Lord, we just pray that now You will use Your Word, God, to illuminate our minds and help us to see You more clearly. And Father, uh, thank You for these amazing passages, Lord, that we will look at today. Will You make them come alive in our hearts and give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, as, as we sort of worked this week to get ready for this morning and went through the process of filming those videos, and as I've been praying over the last few weeks about uh, how to morn- this morning would go and how things would, would play out, really and truly, what overwhelmed me in each of these instances and every time we have a baptism service is really the way that God's love overwhelms the human heart. That there's this moment in all of our lives where we come to the place where we realize no matter what background we come from, no matter what circumstances we're facing, no matter what situations we've been in, no matter what our personal, unique, individual circumstances might be, the love of God, when it becomes real, when the human heart realizes for the very first time that God truly, truly, truly loves you, He loves you. And He has demonstrated that and proven that. Your life will radically change. Because I believe with all my heart that in that moment, it's, uh, I believe as Courtney said, and that's my own experience, that in that moment, it was as if my feet began to move and I was coming down the aisle before I even thought or realized what was going on. It was just happening to me. I realized that God's love was so overwhelming, I could not... I could not stand still any longer. So, really this morning I have just one simple purpose. And I'm going to tell you that up front. I I want to convince those of you who remain unconvinced, those of you here this morning who are not uh, born again by the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I want to convince you to respond to God's amazing love this morning. I want you to see, maybe for the first time, just how amazing His love is. And I want to demonstrate through Scripture, that love to you. And then for the rest of us here this morning, I want to remind each of you to re-engage with the amazing love with which God poured out upon your life. And as believers, we need to continually walk in in the reminder of what God did in our lives the moment that we were born again. Let's look together in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. The Word of God says, Beloved... Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest towards us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
The first thing I want you to see from this passage of Scripture this morning is that you and I can know that God loves us simply because it is God's nature to love. Look at how the Apostle John begins. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Then he goes on in the next verse, verse 8, he says, He who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, I know that that's a verse that people like to quote, and, and, and many people who have spent any time around church will repeat that God is love. But really, just try to get your arms around the fact that God is love. He is the actual representation of love. Love is not an ad- adjective that describes God. Love is the essence of God. It is an attribute of God. It is the very nature of God. In other words, God is love as fire is hot. God is love as water is wet. Fire cannot not be hot. Water cannot be dry. God cannot not be love. He is love. And this isn't a new thing. God's always been this way. And the Bible reminds us in so many amazing ways that that's always been who God is because He's unchanging. Notice this verse that will come up on the screen in John 17 where Jesus... Uh, His high priestly prayer is recorded. And notice the words at the end of verse 24. Jesus prays, Father, I desire, speaking of us, that they will also, who you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given to me for... Now watch this. You, speaking... This is Jesus speaking to the Heavenly Father. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see, God has always been love. That's what God is. And so when John comes on the scene in the Gospel of John, and he writes, For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word of God was with God, and the Word of God was God. What he's saying is that there's always been God, and there's always been love. Jesus is not new to the scene when He he shows up in the manger. He's always been. The the Trinity of our God has always been, and it has always been centered around love. And whenever I talk about this verse, there are always those who are in attendance who struggle with the fact that God is love, just the simplicity of it. It's just hard sometimes to get your, your head around. And here's why. Because life is so incredibly difficult that oftentimes someone, or maybe someone says this to you, you've, you've had someone say to you, well, if God is love, if He's so loving, if He's so good, then explain to me how a loving God could send people to hell. How is that possible? To which I would respond, well, Jesus used stories, so let me tell you a story. What would you say if... Someone you knew was terminally ill and they had a disease that there was no cure for. The doctor said, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. They sent you home. You're just going to die. And that's all there is to it. And then suddenly a doctor shows up who has invented a cure for the disease that you have or that your friend has. And so the doctor comes in and says, listen, I have a cure for your terminal illness. If you will take this medicine, you will be healed. To which the person responds, no, thank you. And the doctor says, wait a minute, you must not understand. It's free. You don't need insurance. You don't need to pay me. This medicine is free. I freely give it to you and it will heal you of your terminal sickness. To which the person replies, no, I'm not interested. Now, when that person dies, is there anyone in this room who would say that the doctor 
caused their death? No. The death was caused by the illness. The illness is sin. And the doctor represents the Lord who freely comes and offers the the solution, the rescue, the cure for the illness. And so when people turn their nose up at God, when people decide, no, I don't want to go God's way, no, I'm not really interested in what God has to say, God doesn't send anyone to hell. Sin sends people to hell. God is love. He is love. And it's so evident in the lives of people who have experienced that love. But somehow, when you're on the outside looking in, so oftentimes, we'll, we'll come to God and we'll allow our circumstances or our trials or the things that have happened to us to somehow blind us. And so I pray this morning that God would just take the blinders off our eyes that we might see the way He loves us. Now, I want you to see, first of all, I, we can know that God loves us because it's His nature, but let's get more practical. Let's see what God does. The second thing I want you to see is that God loves us because He took action. He did something. And over and over, I've told you that true love is an active love. It does something. That anyone who tells you they love you, but they don't do anything, they just tell you that they love you, ignore them, turn them off. Because that's not true love. True love is an active thing. Watch what God does in verse 9. We know He loves us because He took action in that the love of God was made known or manifest among us because God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So God was active in our great need. And He intervened and stepped in and took action. And He didn't just do something. He didn't just give us an alternative. But God gave His very best. Notice the wording that John chooses. That God sent His only begotten Son... Now, there's some people in this room who have lost a son or lost a daughter. And certainly you, you heard Rick's testimony. But can you imagine freely giving away your child, freely sacrificing a son or a daughter? And yet God intervenes on our behalf and we somehow have trouble. We somehow question. We somehow look around at our circumstances and we wonder, well, God, do you love me? Things aren't going right. God, I've lost my job. Do you love me? God, the doctor's called with a bad report. Do you love me? Somehow all these things begin to cloud out the fact that God loves us. But here's the question. Did he or did he not intervene actively, give his son as the propitiation, as the payment for our sin? I mean, what more would prove his love than that? And what does John say? That we might live that we might live, the Bible says. Ephesians 2.1 says about us that we were made alive those who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, prior to salvation, you're dead. Yes, you're walking. Yes, you're breathing. Yes, you're eating. Yes, you are physically alive. But spiritually, you're dead. You're dormant. And, and when you hear those videos, what are you constantly hearing? That everything's changed now. Michael said, when I pray, it's different now. You know why? Because he was dead, now he is alive. That he used to pray, and it was as if his prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling. You see, you can grow up in church, you can know all the right things, you can have all the right answers, but apart from salvation, you're dead. And so you walk among a living people every time you come into the body of Christ, but you're dead. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, 
For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That see, life comes. Life comes. At the moment, the reality of God's love invades and captivates our heart. So we know that God loves us because it's His nature. He is the essence of love. We know that He loves us because He took action. He sent, he sent rescue, but it's not just rescue. Because to me, this is where it's, it's just this pinnacle. It's like as we're reading through 1 John 4, you're climbing a mountain and you're coming closer and closer to the peak. And when you get to verse 10, there's this glorious declaration that this is love. I know that God loves me because He initiated. He initiated my rescue. He, he initiated You see, when I was terminally ill, when I was doomed, when no doctor, no human technology, there was no medicine, there was nothing that could save me from my sin. And in the midst of that, this is the amazing thing about God. In the midst of that, it wasn't that I was out walking the highways and byways, calling out to God, God, where are you? God, I know that you are the only one that has the medicine that will heal my heart, that will cure my condition. It wasn't that at all. That what our testimony is this morning, if we've met God in a saving way, our testimony is is that while we laid in our bed and as we moaned in our sickness and as we slowly died a sinner's death, God knocked on the door. God looked up your address. He put it in His GPS. He came to your house. He walked in your room. He met you where you were. He came looking for you. He initiated the rescue. That in the very instant of my depravity, in the moment as I am perpetrating sin against Him, as I am trampling against the blood of His only begotten Son, in that moment, God initiates rescue to me. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Verse 10 says this is love. Not that we loved God. Not that we went looking for Him. Not that we realized that we we needed something more. But that God loved us and sent His Son to accomplish what we could not do. to To bring the solution to our problem. Many times when you go to a Christian wedding, you'll hear... The verses that uh, we love to quote about love in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want you to listen for a moment what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. The Bible says that love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes in all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Do you know what this is a description of? This isn't a description of the way we love each other. This is a description of how we hope to love each other, of what we strive to love each other like. This is a description of how God loved us. This is the way He loves us. This is perfect love encapsulated. When the Bible says that love in the perfect sense, keeps no record of wrongs. Is there ever been a more true statement about God than that? When He showed up, in the moment of my depravity, in my utter and complete hopelessness, when He saved you, aren't you glad love keeps no record of wrongs? Do you live a day of your life 
not grateful and thankful, basking in the glory of the fact that God keeps no record of wrongs, that your sin is as far from the east as from the west, that it's been cleansed, washed white as snow. When he does it get any better than that? That he initiated, he came to you, his love acted, but it didn't just act. It came and found you. As I thought about this, I just racked my brain as how can I, how can I express to you the magnitude of what verse 10 says? How can we get a glimpse into God's viewpoint, his vantage point as to what happens? At the moment of salvation. And all I could think about was the horrific crime that was all over the news back in 2007. In July 2007, many of you will remember, there was a man named Dr. Pettit and he lived in Connecticut. And he was a victim of a home invasion. And two men burst into his house one night, took his family hostage... And just began to do the most horrific things to his wife and daughters as he laid tied up in the basement. And as he listened to them scream and beg for mercy, he began to free himself. And he finally got to a a way out and he began to scoot across the, the front yard trying to get to a neighbor's house only to turn around and see his house go up in flames. And when those two men went to trial, all of us, anyone who's a dad or a husband or... I mean, I I don't remember a time when my heart was so crystallized as the moment of watching that and just thinking, how could anyone endure such a moment? And they got the death penalty. And it would be as if in that moment the judge says you're guilty and you're going to die. And we all cheer because certainly they deserve it. Dr. Pettit got up from his chair and walked around and went forward and said, Judge, I know what they've done to my family. I was there. I'll never forget it. But I will die in their place. That no matter how wicked they are, I'll give my life for them. Because I love them and I want them to live. Now just try to wrap your head around that for a moment. Just Can we just for a moment stop? Stop just trivializing our lives before Christ. You know, there's some of us in this room and we're just kind of You know, we're just coasting through life. It's all just a big game. And we, we, we're watching things that are, that are deplorable to God and, and things come out of our mouth that are just unbelievable. And, and we just ignore God and we forsake Him and we scoot our Bible to the side and we only come to Him when we have need. And we, can, can, you, can you and I just for a moment begin to, to rest our thoughts upon the gravity of our wickedness. Think about who you were, Christian. Think about what you were doing 
before Christ captivated your heart. Think about the fact that God had already in advance slaughtered His Son knowing what you would be doing in that moment. Knowing how heinous your crime is. He slaughtered His Son for us beforehand. In love. He said, no matter what you've done, no matter how horrific it is, no matter what I've heard, what I've seen, that He was there. He was there every time you used His name in vain. He was there when you mocked Him. He was there when you fornicated. He was there when you cursed Him. He was there. He didn't miss it, drunkard. He didn't miss it. He was there. And He loved you. He intervened in that moment. He didn't say, clean it up, straighten it up, and then I'll come. He didn't say, get your act together, and then maybe I'll send my son. He didn't say, if you do these ten things, then maybe salvation will be for you. He said, in the lowest moment of my life and your life, He said, I'm here, and I'll die in your place so that you may live. Live. How do we get over that? That's the God that we serve. You can know this morning. Listen, life as a Christian is not always easy. It's not always a bed of roses. It's not, it doesn't mean that everything's going to go fine. There are believers in here this morning who are hurting. Can I just remind you of something? I'm sorry that you're hurting. And I hurt with you. But in the midst of your hurting, God's Love is still the most amazing, magnificent, unbelievable gift that we could ever, ever, ever experience. Ever. And so can we just re-engage with this love? Can we realize what our sin looks like before a holy God? So this morning, we can know that God loves us because it's His nature, because He took action, because He initiated our rescue. And finally, I know that God loves me. I know that. Because I now love in a whole new way. And every time you love in a new way, I'm reminded of the glory of my Heavenly Father. And this morning as we celebrate baptism, We celebrate baptism in the context of a place filled with people who now love in a brand new way. Let me share something with you this morning and then I'll be done. I received this letter this week. Hi, my name is Mary. I'm an eighth grader at East Webster High School. Today, some people from your church came to feed us. We're so grateful that they came and the food was delicious. I'll be honest with you. That was the first warm meal we have had since the tornado. All of your members were so nice and they made sure that every one of us had enough to eat. I remember walking past the table and three different people asked me if I had already eaten or if I wanted more. My heart just smiled. I could just see... Jesus shining through them. Some of your teenagers were holding the door open when we were walking in. And it just amazed me how kids that age can make a difference. I'm sure that they were thinking, I'm just holding the door open. This won't mean anything to them. But it did. 
it meant a lot to me. It just makes me want to go out and to help somebody. Another thing about your staff is that they just openly talked with us. I was having a really bad day that day and I walked over there and it just seemed like all of my problems went away. They were so friendly. There was one guy in particular, and then she goes on to give a a vivid description of Jim Featherston. There was one guy in particular, she gives me all your daughter's ages and names and what you're wearing and everything. He He was so friendly. And he spent time with me and he told me that some of y'all are going to come up here this summer and maybe paint the school. I was wondering when you guys were coming because I would like to help. You may just be feeding us, but it means the world to me. Please come back in Christian love, Mary Fielder. You see, I know God's love is real. Because I see people loving in a whole new way. And so when the Bible says that God is love and that you can't not love and know God, and then he ends by saying that, and that to know is because he, he, he's acted on that and to know is because he's initiated that. But then to end and say, beloved, if, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And to watch that play out before your very eyes is such an amazing blessing. Oh, if you're here this morning and you've never experienced the love of God, will today be your day? Will today be the day that whatever your condition, whatever your circumstances, whatever your situation, is just overwhelmed by God's love? You know, I can't leave this passage without making one thing clear. Because really, this entire book begs this one central question. Is it possible to love God? Or is it possible to be loved by God? And yet, to not love those that He gave His Son... so that they may have life? Is it possible this morning? Is it possible that there may be some people in this room who have grown up in the Bible Belt and you've been in church all your life, but your heart is not filled with supernatural love? And you're wrestling. And you have been wrestling for quite some time. Do you think it's possible to have experienced the love that John describes and then to act in opposition to the very mission that that love was sent to accomplish. It's impossible. It's impossible. Yes, it's a narrow way. It's the narrowest of ways. It's Him and Him alone. There is no other way. But when you see what He has done, what He has accomplished on our behalf, every single person in this room, no matter what you're standing before God is this morning, can respond in joy and gratitude 
for the amazing God that we serve and the love that He has poured out on our behalf through Jesus Christ. Will you stand and bow your heads and close your eyes? And let's just for a moment reflect on all that God has accomplished. Will you pray with me? Father, we just come this morning. And Lord, we are in awe of what you have done. Father, we struggle to comprehend, Lord, the way that you love us, God. And Lord, so many times we can sit in church and we can listen to sermons and we can just go through the motions and we can forget what you actually did for us individually. Father, will you remind every saved person in this room who they were the second before they met you. And God, help help them. Help us to wrap our arms around what you accomplished when you sought us out. Father, for those who are here this morning who struggle, who don't feel worthy of the love of God, for those who have experienced terrible grief in this life, who feel that if you are real, you must be a million miles away because of the pain in their heart. Father, will you make yourself real right now? Will you show them? Will you show them that all of this was accomplished? That they may have life. That they may live. And that as they live in your power, as they walk and begin to love people, that they have nothing to gain by loving by simply holding a door open or serving a meal. That an eighth grader whose life has been devastated by a tornado would see the love of Jesus shining through them. Oh God, come this morning. Open up our ears to hear. Give us hearts that can receive your amazing love. Lord, Show us all afresh and anew. You really are love. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open.